This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It finally is here. We made it through the long grind of no football. It's time for at least three weeks of JV football in our homes. Sign me up for it. I'm among millions of Americans who crave the product every Sunday. I'm Danny Mac, and welcome to my podcast on Bet Rivers. And I'm so happy that we decided to launch this podcast during August when footballs are being kicked and training rooms are being filled with beat-up, large, angry mammals trying to work their way back to good health, make a roster spot, and then secure themselves a chance to be NFL stars. And what a way to start for the brand-new Chicago Bears. The new head coach, Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, a team that led the NFL in takeaway differential in 2021, has never been a head coach. His boss, Ryan Poles, the man who picked him, has never been an NFL general manager. In fact, if you look at the Bears' administrative staff, the coaching staff, There is only one guy who previously held his current position, and that's offensive coordinator Luke Getze. However, when Getze was side-by-side with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay while the team produced offensively, it was the head coach LaFleur who did all of the play calling. So this is going to be Luke Getze's first go-round as a play caller at the NFL level. And what a way to get it started. The Kansas City Chiefs, are coming calling Andy Reid just a couple of years removed from hoisting a Super Bowl trophy for the first time in his very, very successful NFL career. Yes, I would give him the vote for NFL Hall of Fame. Jesus, if Dick Vermeil can get in as he recently did, why not Andy Reid? He's done it for a much longer period of time, and uh, his tree of coaches is much more remarkable than that of Dick Vermeil's, if you ask me. So the Bears open with the Chiefs, and who's coming to town but Matt Nagy. And I think Luke Getze, to celebrate the return of the last Bears head coach, should commit himself to going an entire quarter this weekend of not calling any runs. What do you think? I'm stupid? Uh, Nagy said at the lectern several years ago when being pressured to talk about why the Bears had no interest seemingly in establishing a running game. Chicago fans like that. They like a team that can grind it out between the tackles. They like a tough physical football team on both sides of the ball. And historically, that's meant defense for the Monsters of the Midway. And that poses an enormous threat to both Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus in year number one, 
because the only bankable asset on the Bears roster, the only guy who might be a part of it when they get good again is Roquan Smith. And they begin the year with him not wearing pads on the pup list because he feels insulted by the Bears' recent contract offer. He's in the fifth year of his first deal, the final year that pays him almost $10 million. And he wants to be paid the type of money Darius Leonard of the Indianapolis Colts is being paid. I'll get into the comparisons between the two in just a little bit as I dissect the 2022 Chicago Bears. What do we have in store for us as observers? Well, most people don't think it's very good. And in years past, and regimes gone by, usually there was a sense of enormous optimism because it's a new group. It's out with the old, out with those who failed. Now, Lovey Smith had a winning record in his final year as Bears headmaster, but most of the time, everybody is thirsting for that change. That's not the case here because we've seen the movie so many times in recent years, and you're going to find it hard to believe that five of the se- five of the last seven Bears headmen have been named NFL Head Coach of the Year while standing on the Bears' sideline. We think more of John Fox two coaches ago, three very uninspiring years with a winning percentage of 291 and obviously no shot at a playoff team in any of those years. We think of Mark Tressman, uh, whose two-year run was anything but memorable, but while he was coming then from the Canadian League, at least there was an optimistic viewpoint in most corners. Because the Bears, for the first time, were thinking outside the box. Hire a guy from the CFL, and when he was in the NFL, he posted some remarkable numbers when he was running the Minnesota Vikings. So what's up with Roquan Smith, who just turned 25 in April? Four very eventful years in a Bears uniform. He was part of that magical class of 2018 yeah, it was magical. I'm going to call it that. 12-4 and four that season. Hosted a playoff game. Got beat by the Eagles. We all remember the Cody Parkey double doink. But that was a real special year because there was optimism about Nagy, an offensive mind coming from Kansas City. Even though he already had shown us, he didn't value the running game. There was a playoff game when he called the plays for Reed, and he forgot Kareem Hunt, one of the best running backs in the league was on the roster, but right before the season started. You'll recall that Friday night on the 1st of September when then-general manager Ryan Pace shocked the world and traded with the Raiders for Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack, with just a week in training camp, put his fingerprints all over the Bears opening night on NBC A 27-yard interception return for a touchdown. You remember breathing down Rodgers' neck on the first few series of the game, and the Bears opened up this big lead early. And Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are talking about sitting Aaron Rodgers down for the rest of the game. You recall that? The Bears ran out of gas in the fourth quarter. They lost that that game 24-23. But it was certainly... A terrific year with the additions of the high round draft choice. Roquan Smith, high expectations there. Khalil Mack comes in and he was a monster in 18. Matt Nagy. Smith started 14 games that year. And he was a holdout and didn't have much time 
to practice with his teammates, but he was immediately a force for the Bears' defense. He led the team in tackles, even though he only started 14 of their 16 games. He demonstrated great range as a first-year player, sideline to sideline. He was terrific. Not Brian Urlacher level of terrific, but how many guys are? Very, very few. Urlacher absolutely deserving of Canton, unlike some of the guys who went in recently. Roquan Smith played stout in the A-gaps. He showed great range. He showed swivel hips. 89 solo tackles. He played 84% of the Bears' defensive snaps in his first year. In each of the Bears' last two seasons, 20 and 21, he played an amazing 95% of the snaps, and he has started every game for which he has dressed since year two. His stats are less than amazing, and I'll get to them in just a second. But in his four years, while most of the affection for Bears defenders has gone to Khalil Mack. He sells the most jerseys. He's the face of the defense for the last four years. At least two of those years, Roquan Smith was the best player on the Bears defense. There isn't a doubt in my mind he outperformed Mack and outperformed Danny Trevathan and was better than anybody on the Bears roster, barring possibly the exception of Kyle Fuller, who had a couple of very good years, too, before he departed for Denver. But a terrific Bears inside linebacker. I have loved Roquan Smith since he first stepped on the field in a Chicago uniform. So what's missing from number 58's game? Why might the Bears hold firm and say, look, we want to pay you the last year of your rookie contract, or or maybe... We want to work on a long-term deal with you, but you got to be a little bit more realistic. Or they decide, you know what, there's the door. Thank you very much. No problem. We're not expecting to be that competitive this year. If we can get a first-round pick and maybe a fourth, maybe they'll find a taker for Roquan Smith, who's got a pretty good reputation. But here's the rub. I can think of a couple reasons why you don't make a big deal for Roquan Smith. And the first of which is he doesn't take away the football. 61 career games. He has forced one fumble. That's unconscionable to me. He's made 348 solo tackles and another 176 assists. That's 424 times. He's had his hands on ball carriers who got put on their asses. One forced fumble? That's awful. That's not what gets you number one money at your position. Yeah, he's around the ball all the time. But when you don't take it away, you're just a very, very good player. You're not a great player. Look at Darius Leonard's numbers comparatively. They both come in the league in 2018. Next to Roquan Smith's one forced fumble, Leonard has 17. 17 to 1. Interceptions, not quite the disparity. Roquan Smith has 5. Leonard has 11. I really like Roquan Smith. 
but this is a deal the Bears have no business making. And I know Bears fans consistently want to jump up and down and scream at the organization. And I understand why they've given you 20 plus years of reason to not trust them, to think that they're going on the cheap, which you can't do in the NFL. There's some cap space available right now, but you have to spend the minimum and the Bears have paid. For free, they don't always work out. But look at some of the big contracts they've paid on taking chances on old guys like Orlando Pace, like Adam Archuleta, and I could keep going with some of the chances they took and a willingness to pay big money. Julius Peppers, you know, after they complete the Khalil Mack deal, they made him the highest-paid defensive player in the game's history. If that isn't a commitment, tell me what is. Let's look at what Matt Eberflus has inherited in addition to his best player defensively not wanting to be a participant, thinking the Bears have disrespected him and have, have not negotiated in good faith. And he's doing this all the, all the while without an agent, which is absolutely asinine. Eberflus and Getze inherited an offense that averaged 18.3 points per game in 21. They were 27th in the league in points per game. Who's a difference maker? Unfortunately, the only positional strength possessed by the Chicago Bears is running back. How did having the league's leading rusher play out for Indianapolis last year? Jonathan Taylor was terrific, and because of the injury to Derrick Henry, he leads the NFL in rushing. He hung hung on to the football. He was a valuable player. They didn't make the playoffs. There are a lot of teams in the NFL who have great running games, and they don't go to the playoffs. So while I like the tandem of David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, Where does that get you? And how much is that offensive line going to help these guys? Justin Fields, in year number two, is the most important player in the organization, and it's not even close. And he did not have a first year that told you the Messiah has arrived. He had some good moments as a rookie. Pittsburgh comes to mind on the Monday night game. But there was more bad than good. Not all on him. He didn't have difference makers at the skilled positions. Allen Robinson was lousy in his final year in a Bears uniform. Darnell Mooney, maybe. Mooney had more than 1,000 yards receiving last year. But in this NFL, that's not huge. There's a lot of guys who can have 1,000 receiving yards in a season. Fields last year completed 159 of 270 passes. That's a completion percentage of 58.9. Not in this NFL, man. You you got to do a heck of a lot better than that. Seven touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. He was sacked 36 times. And, And I get the impression sometimes Fields in year number one Simply wanted to prove to the world he could be a real good passer, too, and not just rely on what he can do running the ball once he makes that decision. I thought he grew a little bit as the season went on. He did rush for more than 400 yards, and I think a couple of touchdowns as well. But I want to see him get better as a passer. We don't know how the final chapter will be written in the Justin Fields story. Will Luke Getze make a difference? And who's going to help him? Who are going to be the guys 
at wide receiver who make a difference on this team. They make a few big moves in the offseason at wide receiver, so you might think. They go get Byron Pringle of the Chiefs. Not their number one, not their number two. Their number three, he's going to be out for a while with a quad injury. My hope is he doesn't aggravate it doing donuts in a school parking lot in a sports car with a 700-plus horsepower engine. With or without his child in the back seat. What a goof. Not the kind of thing that's going to get a guy suspended. Not the kind of thing that's going to have people looking at his behavior. I don't think over the years. It's not a DUI. It's not a lot of things. It just shows you he's got some pretty bad judgment at time. They also go out in the offseason and get Nikhil Harry. This was the 32nd player chosen by the Patriots in the 2019 draft. He's a, he's a first-round pick, albeit last guy chosen in the draft. And Bill Belichick, after three years, says, I've seen enough. If Belichick is going to you know, say no more on a guy who's that young, that says a lot to me. Then they get Equinemius St. Brown. Because of injuries to Pringle and to Harry, who has a high ankle sprain, Brown is top. St. Brown is tops on the depth chart right now. He and Mooney are the starting wide receivers. The rookie from Tennessee also is dinged up, Vallis Jones Jr. So there are issues there. And there is the huge issue of what's going on with the Bears' offensive line. They also got a couple of veterans to help them out there. And Ryan Pauls, who played on the offensive line at Boston College, made it perfectly clear when he was introduced he was going to prioritize the O-line. And I think that appealed to a lot of Bears fans because Kyle Long is the only offensive lineman drafted high in this century who has panned out. Olin Krutz who is a borderline Hall of Famer, was a 98 or 99 draft pick. So they've only hit a home run once on a high-round draft pick. They go out and get a couple of veterans. The most promising, probably Lucas Patrick, the former Packers center. Well, he has a broken thumb. Maybe it's just me, but that's not good for a center. He likely will be moving to guard. Riley Reef a first-round pick of the Lions in 2012. And if you'd have told me in 12, Riley Reef just became a Bear, I would have said, hell yeah, that's good for the Bears. I liked him coming out of Iowa. I was wrong. The Bears are his fourth team. The Lions passed him along to the Vikings. The Vikings passed him along to the Bengals. He's been an okay player, but not a first-round pick, even though I was screaming for it. I was also very, very much in the camp of David DeCastro out of Cal, who went to Pittsburgh. The Bears passed on both of them. Reef, you yeah, okay. They passed on him. He hasn't been a great player in the NFL in 10, 11 years by any stretch. DeCastro's been a terrific player for the Steelers. Who did the Bears get at 19? Hey, 19. They got Shane McClellan, an unknown pass rusher. Actually, they didn't know what he was coming out of Boise. Is he a pass rusher? Is he a defensive end? What is he, undersized to play, you know? And he didn't pan out, even though he ended the season of Aaron Rodgers a few years ago. And looking at it now that Rodgers has gone bag for several years, maybe we should pat Shane McClellan on the back one more time for that. But what an awful pick at 19. 
Uh, elsewhere on the offensive line, you've got musical chairs, as so often is the case with the Bears. Tevin Jenkins may be serviceable at tackle. I heard Tom Thayer on the radio this past week talking about all Jenkins needing is to stack practices. Yeah, I have a feeling next month opposing defensive front sevens will be stacking negative plays on the Bears' run game and swarming Justin Fields. This is not a good group. Cody Whitehair is still here. He's just a guy. Starting against the Chiefs, Braxton Jones, Southern Utah, fifth-round pick this past spring. Did you see the, the photo on draft night? Actually, it would be a couple days later when he's drafted in the fifth round, not on draft night, but when the Bears take... Braxton Jones, did you see his Southern Utah picture with the tire above the waistline? He's impressed in training camp, but I went into this whole thing with a real negative attitude about Jones because he didn't play in a big-time school, and that's not everything, but it's something, and he looked incredibly out of shape. I got no use for guys who are that fat on offense. No use for him. And I'm under 200 pounds, so save your glass houses comment. Let's go back to the defense because the offense is, is not good. Defensive line, so often for the Bears a strength. Akeem Hicks, terrific player for the last several years, gone. Eddie Goldman, who had a couple of really good years for the Bears and then became sort of enigmatic, gone. Balil Nichols. Gone. Khalil Mack, if you want to call him a red, uh, an edge rusher, rusher, not a linebacker, he's gone. Robert Quinn, I'll give you, as a potential difference maker on the Bears' defense. He's got a lot of miles on that odometer, but last year he set a team record for the most sacks, and he completely redeemed himself for an awful first year in 2020. So Robert Quinn, for me, guarded optimism. And that's the best I can do on these guys, on, on, on Quinn, rather. Justin Jones, Travis Gibson, Kiris Tonga, Angelo Blackson, LaCale London, Mario Edwards Jr. These are your guys who the Bears are going to entrust to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks this year. And in the secondary, if they don't get pressure, you got problems. Jalen Johnson, the third-year guy out of Utah, intercepted one pass last season. He forced one fumble. Showed some promise in that rookie year. Pretty good coverage guy. Didn't intercept a pass. Same criticism of Roquan Smith. You got to take the ball away in this league. Duke Shelley is listed at the other number one on the Bears' depth chart, which was just released Wednesday of this week. Eddie Jackson is still hanging around. Man, remember that great year when Eddie Jackson scored touchdowns? Yeah, that was awesome. That was amazing. You know who's a hopeful in the Bears secondary? Jaquan Brisker, second-round pick, 48th overall out of Penn State, wearing number nine this year. Jim McMahon, the punky QB. 6'1", 200 pounds is Brisker. He comes with a pretty good reputation. He is a bit of a ball honk. At least he was in Happy Valley, so that's where your optimism is there for young players because, man, 
with with Jalen Johnson being a question mark and Roquan Smith potentially gone, where is the optimism for the future of that Bears defense? If you can find it, let me know. I don't have it right now. And I don't have faith in this staff. I don't like to predicate my thoughts on history exclusively. But I want to get you a real up-close look at the Ted Phillips regime. Since he became empowered after the Dave McGinnis fiasco, following the 98 season, Wanstead's last year, 99, they're supposed to hire Dave McGinnis, and Phillips's fingerprints were all over that colossal screw-up because history repeated itself a few years later when Nick Saban, who was being recruited by Jerry Angelo, to be the next head coach, had to be restrained, possibly wanting to come over the table at Phillips. What the Bears did to McGinnis is just, you know, NFL criminality. You know, it's they asked him to lie to his assistants about how much of their contract would be guaranteed. They leaked the news to national news organizations before McGinnis had had a chance to talk with his boss, then head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Vince Tobin. McGinnis's mother is calling him, and she's saying, what, you've been named head, bear, head coach of the Bears? Which he would have loved to have taken, and a lot of us would have loved that because he was a, a very good linebackers coach and a very media-friendly guy who the fans always loved when they heard him on the radio. That gets you nothing as a head coach in the NFL, but he would have come in being very well-liked Very well received. Didn't happen, and nothing can convince me Phillips didn't have something to do with that because I have seen over the years how Phillips operates. And while there needs to be a level of ruthlessness in a professional sports organization, he has crossed the line over and over again. And his record since that 99 season, his first, is abysmal. The Bears have gone 182 and 203 during his reign. That's 21 games below the 500 mark. They're three and six in the postseason, and you won't remember their last appearance because it came two years ago in the first year of expanded playoffs when they played the Saints. A lot of people forget that game. They think, yeah, they lost to the Eagles on the double doink in year number one for Nagy, Matt. Uh, uh, Khalil Mack and everybody, but they made the playoffs in 2020 and they lost to the, to the saints 21 to nine. The bears had 11 first downs on the night. It was not a good night. When's their last playoff win? When's your last, when's the last time your fan said, yeah, we just won a playoff game. Ted Phillips. It's 11 years ago when the Bears muscled their way past the 2011 Seattle Seahawks NFC West champions with a record of 7-9. From a metric standpoint, those Seahawks were the worst team, postseason team, in NFL history. Congratulations, Sweaty Teddy. You want to call Soldier Field a victory? Feel free to do that. The spaceship on the lake which Phillips got done was a huge mistake. And then, uh, you know, 20 years later, they're buying land in Arlington Heights, an organization worth so much money, among the richest in professional sports. 
And that's a feather in Phillips' cap. I'll give you that. He's very proud of his website getting more hits than most teams in the NFL, too, by the way. But, man, you got to do so much better than this. And Soldier Field's renovation was such an awful idea. When the Packers rebuilt Lambeau Field 20 years ago, they didn't ask their team to go play in Madison as the Bears did. They built around it. They were reconstructing while the Packers could continue to play in Lambeau. The Bears had their team play 16 road games by playing two and a half, three hours south at the University of Illinois. Every Bear I talked to on that team said it was like playing 16 road games, and it was absolutely dreadful. You been to Champaign? As Al Michaels said, not only do they not have a four seasons, they don't even have a two seasons. Yeah, Ted Phillips doesn't give me much optimism. But, folks, we don't know what will become of Matt Eberflus. Will he be the sixth of eight recent Bears head coaches to win coach of the year? Ditka in 85 running the table with pretty much every news service and publication coach of the year award. He won it again in 88. Dave Wanstead in his second year as Bears head coach in 94 was the UPI coach of the year. Bears were a playoff team that year. They pounded the Vikings on New Year's Day at the Metrodome. John Madden discovered Raymond Harris that day. Yeah, he'd been pretty productive all year. John wasn't paying attention. Dick Geron on the heels of a 13-3 year in 2001. Geron's third season was named NFL Coach of the Year. AP and two other uh, publications had the Yaley number one. Lovey Smith won it in his second year, 2005. Bears got back to the playoffs that year and got absolutely drummed at home by the Carolina Panthers. You might recall turf flying up from the spikes of Panthers wide receiver Steve Smith in the faces of Bears defenders, absolutely torching the Bears that day, but Lovey won Coach of the Year that way. Matt Nagy won it in 2018 on the heels of the 12 and four, his first year. The big class of 2018. Mark Tressman and John Fox never did win NFL Coach of the Year as head coaches of the Bears. Tressman showed his optimism that first year. You remember what he was doing when he's doing things with nothing after uh, Jay Cutler got hurt. Yeah, how'd that work out in the long run? So it's easy to have negativity about these Bears, but Bears fans, I can't give you much hope other than at the running back position. I wish I could be more optimistic, but there are no fairy tales in this NFL. Like like Red said as he narrated Shawshank Redemption, I'd like to tell you Andy Dufresne fought the good fight, but prison life is no fairy tale. NFL life isn't a fairy tale either, and I look forward so much to opening day when the Bears get to defend the great Trey Lance and the San Francisco 49ers at Soldier Field. Yes, kids. Football's back, and I couldn't be happier. Thanks for spending a half an hour with me today. I look forward to our next get-together after the Bears and Chiefs hit heads at Soldier Field and uh, a look ahead to other teams that I think are fascinating in this year's NFL. Not just Bears next time you get together with me. It's going to be a look at those Las Vegas Raiders with Devontae Adams and what the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be 
with Tyreek Hill, now a Miami Dolphin. Yeah, I'm in for all of this stuff. I absolutely crave the shield. I don't need the Bears to be a part of my late January or February. Thanks for spending time with me. I'm Danny Mack for Bet Rivers.